0: Welcome to TALC, Teaching and Learning Consultation Skills. This is the Talk Talks podcast, helping everyone who sees patients to improve their consultation skills, to get better outcomes, and this approach can even increase your job satisfaction. This podcast is about the module which is concerned with Talk. Skills, Advanced Skills for Effective Explanations and Planning of Personalised Care. And it refers to the chapter called To Be or Not To Be. How can clinicians share decision making in complex situations? So there are many situations in which a shared management plan with a patient will be straightforward. If the clinician uses the principles set out in the module Talc Essential Skills for Effective Explanations, and planning care, that approach will link the patient's own concerns, questions and aspirations to the management options that the clinician has identified. Sometimes this approach is not enough, especially in complicated or complex situations, or perhaps where there's an element of equipoise which means that the decision has significant and balanced pros and cons to it. Clinical practice inevitably involves many complex situations and they can be thought of in these general categories. Firstly, it might be that a patient doesn't accept the clinician's recommended approach. This might be because they have different ideas about what should happen. For example, a patient might disagree with a referral for bowel cancer surgery if they find the prospect of surgery completely unacceptable. Complex and difficult decisions can arise if there are several options of roughly equivalent predicted effects, means that there has to be a choice made and a decision made about how to proceed. It could be that the clinician's suggested plan significantly interferes with elements of life which are highly valued by the patient, but not so highly valued by the clinician. For example, a patient may value avoiding medications very highly. Complex decisions can also arise when the effects of interventions are uncertain. This might be because there's limited information, Or it may be that the patient differs in important ways from the population in whom an intervention has been tested. And this often applies in another situation, which is where not only is there a complex situation, but the interaction of different factors can't be predicted. For example, if a patient has multiple comorbidities, if they're taking many different medications, if they have an unstable illness, or perhaps if they're in a condition of frailty, where the effects of different interventions have never really been tested. When such complexities are present, decisions need to be shared with patients because the clinician cannot necessarily know the right answer. What would an effective shared decision be like in these circumstances? And here's a useful description of a good shared decision. A good shared decision is when The quality of a clinical decision or its patient-centeredness is the extent to which it reflects the considered needs, the considered values, and the expressed preferences of a well-informed patient. The key point is that it is not the clinician's values, needs, or preferences that take priority. It's the patient's needs, values, and expressed preferences that take priority. At the same time, the decision must still be shared, not simply passed over to the patient. A useful way of thinking about this is to think about the different styles a clinician could adopt when making a decision. And these are four quite contrasting approaches. The first one is often called clinician knows best. And this is when the clinician takes a paternalist position and makes the decisions about the best care. This attitude sometimes has a bad press and is called paternalistic or overcontrolling, But in truth, most people hope for this when the situation is life-threatening and the action needed is clear-cut. Everyone hopes for clinicians to make clear decisions when dealing with a multiply-injured patient in an emergency department. If you've got a bad head injury, you don't really want to be doing shared decision-making. Another kind of style could be called the informant clinician, This is someone who promotes so-called informed choice. This clinician avoids instructions and presents patients with a lot of information to help themselves make an informed choice. While this seems good on the surface, it can result in some patients feeling as if they've been abandoned to make difficult choices in complex situations which they are unprepared for. This is often reflected in patients saying things like, Well, what would you do, doctor? The interpretive clinician goes beyond this. They share information with the patient, but they don't leave the patient to make a choice in isolation. Rather, the interpretive clinician guides the decision-making using their own expert knowledge while incorporating the patient's own values and priorities. These are important differences from a simple informed choice approach, and this latter approach is usually called shared decision-making which is really a technical term for this. A shared decision-making approach requires a specific set of skills which are explored in this chapter. There is an even higher level of expertise, which could be called the deliberative clinician. And this term is used when a clinician helps a patient to explore the health-related values that could be realised in their own clinical situation and perhaps even Which of those values are more worthy and should be aspired to? Through dialogue about the values which are most important to the patient in their specific situation, the clinician here is acting a bit more like a teacher or perhaps a wise friend. There's a very interesting discussion about this in reference 23 if you want to follow it up. At first sight, the informant clinician giving patients an informed choice seems to respond to current ideas that more information is better and that choice is a good thing. However, having choice in itself increases anxiety. Offering information but no guidance can lead to a sense of abandonment if patients are facing difficult decisions. For example, a woman considering whether her husband, already gravely ill, should have an amputation after a heart attack reported, I was told my husband could die if he didn't have the operation or he could die during the operation. Obviously the choice was mine. Now, why is the choice obviously the wife's choice? The clinicians here were not saying they knew best and the patient's wife was left both with the uncertainty and the very heavy responsibility of which decision to take. Is it really helpful to completely devolve this fraught decision to the wife? If her husband dies, will she feel it's all her fault for making a wrong decision? In this situation, it would be far more helpful to have true shared decision-making where the clinician's expertise incorporates the values and attitudes that the wife can tell him about her husband's situation. What values did her husband espouse? What were his aims in life? And how does that fit with the potential decisions? These issues are considered more fully in the section on uncertainty from the patient's perspective in reference 19. To achieve effective shared decisions in difficult circumstances, there are specific tasks which need to be achieved. Firstly, and in preparation, the clinician must identify clearly the decision which is to be made and the clinician must clarify how much the patient wants to be involved. And that might mean how much Patients' relatives want to be involved if there are decisions when a patient doesn't have capacity for some reason, for example, if they're unconscious. Patients differ in how much involvement they want to have in difficult decision making. The wise clinician elicits a clear understanding of how much involvement the patient wishes to have in decisions about their care. Many, if not most, patients do want to be fully consulted about their care. And many may wish a relative or friend to be involved too, as support or to actually assist in the decision-making process. The clinician must also clarify the patient's own priorities and preferences. What information they have already? What other information would they like? Patients need and prefer information in different forms. Would this individual want a written summary, a Kate's plot, a diagram... A link to a website to read beforehand, perhaps? Having explained the decision to be made, what comes next and what skills are needed to bring clinician and patient together to plan acceptable and feasible care? These skills are called shared decision-making skills and they can be considered in three stages. These are team talk, option talk and decision talk. Team talk occurs when the clinician discusses how they and the patient will work together to make the best decision for that individual. The clinician outlines the alternative possibilities clearly and emphasizes that final decisions will naturally differ between individuals. In other words, there is no single right answer. Team talk builds on the clinician-patient relationship that has been established throughout the consultation And of course, this is covered in the module Skills for Building Effective Relationships. Using open questions and an empathic approach enables the clinician to seek out and understand the patient's preferred approaches. The clinician approaches the point of view with acceptance and in a non-judgmental way. The aim is to bring out not what is the matter with the patient, but what really matters to the patient in their life at this time. The issues that commonly need to be discussed might include preferences for being at home rather than in hospital, preferences for how to spend the remaining time if lifespan is likely to be limited, does the patient want to spend more time with loved ones or are they keen to pursue information about possibilities, including, for example, that effective palliative care may extend lifespan more than aggressive chemotherapy regimes. These issues are discussed very eloquently and readably by the writer Atul Gawande, describing his own father's life and death. After team talk, there's a need to go on to option talk. Option talk enables the clinician and patient to work together to identify advantages and disadvantages from the patient's point of view, and to discuss the possible benefits and harms that may result. A jargon-free way forward can be to say, What would be your reasons to say yes to this option? What could be the reasons to say no to this? The clinicians can explain their own reasons for their recommendation if they have one and clarify the patient's understanding of the clinician's reasoning. Benefits and harms must be discussed. Benefits and harms may not simply be matters of physical health, the impact on relationships, work, self image, and other health conditions or constraints may all come into the picture. The very uncertain effects of interventions in those with frailty or multi may mean that the patient's preferences for risk-taking versus a conservative approach may also come into play. Clinicians need to avoid a spurious certainty about the effects of interventions in very frail patients. And clinicians need to remember to temper their enthusiasm for intervention with clear statements about potential downsides or harms. Finally, decision talk happens when the patient's preferences have been articulated and are then integrated into the final decision. The clinician does not stand back and say, you decide, but has a part to play in weighing things up because of their clinical knowledge and understanding, especially about harms as well as benefits. The clinician's responsibility is to help the patient recognise what impact the benefits and harms could be for them as an individual. All factors need to be weighed up fully, otherwise simply giving people information for an informed choice risks abandoning them to indecision or maybe to poor decisions. Decisions about care are not only about effectiveness, although clinicians often focus on that. When plans have inherent risks of harm and variable benefits we have to think about the patient's preferences. Preferences include trade-offs between different possibilities. For example one patient may choose to trade off a faster recovery time from injury against taking unpaid time off work to do intensive physiotherapy. However another individual with a similar injury may prefer to trade off a stable income against slightly more pain and a longer recovery time from the same injury because they can't attend physiotherapy without losing income. Patients may value trade-offs very differently from clinicians. Explicitly recognising and discussing the effects of patient preferences may be enough to create a way forwards. When this process doesn't occur, it's been termed the silent misdiagnosis. This means missing the correct assessment of a patient's preferences, and it can be as harmful as missing any other kind of diagnosis. There's a really interesting exploration of this topic in reference 26. In healthcare, making no decision is still a decision with consequences because it may effectively mean taking the option of not doing anything. If a decision is to be deferred, for example to allow for discussion with a family member, a specific time frame should be specified to ensure that the decision making conversation is completed and a firm decision either way is made. If the decision is to be briefly delayed, the clinician must ensure that a relevant way of conveying the decision is in place. This may mean seeing the patient or speaking to them on the phone, or the patient may talk to an administration team member. Clinicians need fail-safe systems for chasing up these decisions and recording them in the notes with the rationale noted as well. Now many clinicians believe they already do shared decision making. However, patients don't believe this and consistently ask for more involvement in decisions about their care. The concept, nothing about me without me, captures that idea. As educators introduce these more formal skill sets Perhaps clinicians will be able to act in more sophisticated and patient-centred ways. Shared decision-making is a complex area of healthcare and goes beyond the skills needed to incorporate a patient's perspective in a shared management plan. At times of distress, in complex situations, the clinician who remains calm and uses shared decision-making skills properly can bring great comfort to patients and families as well as effective decision-making enabling patients to follow their own preferred path can be a humbling and even joyous experience when the clinician observes patients taking charge and being able to express themselves fully in their own lives. This podcast was brought to you by NHS Professional Educators, making training available to all.